All right. <clears throat> the mic is working. If uh, you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. As we continue our sermon series entitled By His Son, uh, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 this morning. It's on page 1277 if you're using one of the big blue Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. And as Pastor Mike said, kids, if you're tracking the word of the day, the word of the day is Moses. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things That were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you that you have given us your word. And that your word, through the work of your Holy Spirit, tells us of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, of his finished work on the cross, of the promises that we are entitled to because of what he's done on our behalf, of your deep and abiding love for us, and of all the many, many things that we have in your word. And as we look now at this passage, Holy Spirit, would you just open our eyes and hearts and minds that we would cling tightly to what is said here of Jesus and that you would use your word, Lord, to shape us and to mold us. We know because your word tells us that your word never goes out and returns to you void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Always. So we thank you, Lord, that you are at work even now as we look in your word, as we worship you through the preached word. Be with us now, shape us, mold us, fill us that you might send us out as we continue to seek to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So some of you may know um, that the nefarious stomach bug uh, that has been um, ruthlessly tearing uh, people apart, lives apart, just destroying everything. Um, That's how I feel about it, to be honest with you. Um, The the stomach bug has made its way to the Ryman home in the last week. Uh, Hannah came down with it first. She led the pack. Um, Monday night, we were up basically all night. Uh, between Hattie and Noah taking turns getting sick 
Uh, Tuesday, Lydia was sick. Wednesday, sweet little Eliza got sick. Thursday, this guy got sick, crazy sick, so gross. Um, Friday, I was still kind of sick. Um, I don't even know what day, whatever other days are in the week now. But here's the thing. Last night, guess what? Eliza's back at it, baby. Oh, my. All night. All night. Um, I don't even think Hannah's here. Did you come, Hannah? She'll listen to this. I love you, Hannah. Um, listen, so, so in that, um, I generally get to this wonderful privilege of spending a certain amount of time preparing a sermon. And um, a lot of that time was eaten up uh, uh, by other things this week. So, um, but the good news is that what, what we see in this passage really is straightforward and it's really powerful. And, and even, you know, what's interesting is I, I don't feel good right now and um, I feel kind of weak. And, and I ended up this morning, I was kind of panicking because I just, I, the sermon did not really come together. I didn't think it was going to make a whole lot of sense. And I, I legitimately kind of freaked out. And I called Michael, wherever he is, I called Pastor Michael and I said, dude, you better pray for me. Um, we're going to have some problems. And he did. He prayed for me. And it was amazing because all he did in that prayer is he got my eyes on to Jesus. And with my eyes on Jesus, then I began to feel like I can do this. If with my eyes on me, I was like, we're done for. I'm going home. But when he got my eyes on Jesus, now I felt I was able to do the thing God had called me to do today. And how interesting that that is really what our passage is about. It's about having our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, considering Jesus as he says. But that word really means more than considering. It's not like have you considered skim milk. It's not that type of considering. It's focusing. He says, consider Jesus. He's saying, focus on Jesus. Get your mind on Jesus. Get your heart on Jesus. Think about Jesus. And what's interesting is in the context of what he's talking about, he's talking to people who are struggling to remain faithful to God through faith in Christ. This whole book is a letter from this pastor to his people, many of whom are really wrestling because of different trials, different temptations, even some persecution. And they're struggling to, to keep following Jesus. They're struggling with that faith aspect of being a Christian. And his response to them, last week we saw he says, run to Jesus because Jesus can help you when you're being tempted. And now he continues that thought by saying, get your eyes on Jesus, consider Jesus. And so the main thing we want to take away this morning, the number one thing we want to see here is that when we are struggling to be faithful to God, We can, we must focus on Jesus' faithfulness to God. Which is what produces the gospel, right? It produces the good news for us. And it is the gospel that empowers us to be faithful to God. So when we're struggling to do the things we know God has called us to do, we need to look not to ourselves, but to the faithfulness of Christ And think about what that means in our lives, what we receive through faith. And that empowers us then to go and do the things that God is calling us to do. When we're struggling to remain faithful to God, we can focus on Jesus' faithfulness to God. And that gives us the strength we need 
to stay in the game, to stay behind Jesus, following him. So take a look. Let's just look at a few things from this this morning. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, a couple things. He says, holy brothers. Uh, he's, he's reminding us there that we are different, that we've been set apart. Okay? And he says, you who share in a heavenly calling. This is amazing. What he's, this is not a calling like your vocation in life type of calling. This is an actual calling that God has called to us. Has said, hey, I love you. I want you to come be with me. And he's done that through the gospel. So that's who we are. We're a people who has been set apart and called by God to come be with him. And what's the most important thing for us to do then? It is to consider Jesus. Again, that means to get our eyes on him, to be thinking about him. Focusing on him. It literally means to observe something in order to learn from it. Okay, so we keep our eyes on Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession. What is he saying there? It's interesting. This is the only place where Jesus is referred to as an apostle. Normally we think of the word apostle, uh, think of the first 12 disciples. Well, minus Judas plus Paul. But nonetheless, those are the apostles, right? But he's calling Jesus an apostle. And he's also calling his high priest or our high priest. And notice that the focus then is who was faithful to the one who appointed him. So the focus is on his faithfulness as our apostle, as our high priest. What does an apostle do? An apostle is a messenger who who says things for God, reveals things for God. And Jesus has been faithful to that role, to be the one who reveals all the things that we need to know about God to us. Okay, he's been faithful in that role. He's also our high priest. How is he our high priest? We've already talked about this. This is a big theme in the book of Hebrews. The priest is the one who puts forth the sacrifice to symbolize a payment for sin. But here Jesus is our high priest who has put forth the ultimate sacrifice himself. So that we can be forgiven of all of our sins. In fact, by saying he is the apostle and high priest of our confession, the things that we believe, he's really going right back to chapter 1. Flip back to chapter 1 and look at those first few verses. Chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. He's the apostle. He's the messenger. See it? Then, if we keep going, notice a few verses later, it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sins. He's our high priest. So he's really just taking these same truths and packaging them another way. That he's our apostle. He's the one who reveals all that we need to know about God. He's our high priest. He has provided the sacrifice, his very life, to pay for our sins so that through faith we can be declared righteous. And he's been faithful. He has done it. He has done the things that God appointed him to do. Okay? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Okay? So that emphasis there, he's calling out to us who are struggling, who are doubting. What helps us be strengthened to to continue to follow Jesus? It's focusing on the fact that Jesus was faithful to the role that he was appointed to. And then he says, just like Moses. Okay, just like Moses was faithful in all God's house. And what's he what's he talking about? He's connecting with Moses now. And here's why. He's talking to these Hebrew Christians 
And in their life, in their mind, one of the things that uh, is tempting for them is to do away with all this Jesus stuff and just go back to Old Testament Judaism, in which Moses was the predominant figure. There's no question that Moses is the predominant figure of the Old Testament. And so what the author is doing now is he's going to affirm, yes, Moses was super special, but Jesus is even more special. Jesus is superior to Moses. He's greater than Moses. And that helps us too. It's very relevant for us too. We may not be tempted to go back to Judaism, but there's some major things we can learn about uh, the Old Testament in general here. But take a look at, uh, turn with me to Numbers 12. Numbers chapter 12, because this is actually where the author is drawing from when he says Moses was faithful in all God's house. And he's referring back to the specific moment in redemptive history when God clearly marks out Moses as profoundly unique among all other human beings and even other prophets. So let's take a look. What is he calling to mind in the minds of these Hebrew Christians by saying that Moses was faithful in all of God's house? Uh, okay, so are you there? It's on page 153 if you're using one of our Bibles. Numbers 12, check this out. Verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron, that's uh, Moses' sister and brother, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, check this out, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So here's what's happening. Moses is the leader of Israel. He's led them out of slavery, leading them through the wilderness. He's received the law from God at Mount Sinai. And now, Miriam and Aaron are getting in his face, and they're saying, you know, God talks through other people too, Moses, not just you, bro. And what happens? God comes down. Look at this. And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Which I think means that he didn't say anything in that moment. He just waited. He was quiet. Verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. In other words, what he's doing there is he's confirming. You're right. God does uh, speak through different people, different prophets. But it's different with Moses. Verse 7 is what the author of Hebrews is quoting. Verse 7, God says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. See the connection to Hebrews 3 there? He is faithful in all my house. What does that mean? Verse 8, with him I speak mouth to mouth or face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And if you keep reading there, you see that God actually gave Miriam leprosy for a short time as a form of discipline. But now back to Hebrews. That's the passage that the author of Hebrews is bringing to play here. And what he's doing is is he's, he's acknowledging to these Hebrew Christians that clearly Moses is this absolutely unique and special person in the Old Testament. Very, very, very important. Yes, yes, yes. He's not saying anything negative about Moses at all. 
But then look what he says in verse 3. He says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now think about that. What he's basically saying here is Moses is very important, but Moses was part of something much bigger. Moses was part of the house that's being built by God. And who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Look at verse 8. He's saying, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. In other words, Moses was faithful to do the things that God called him to do as a servant and as a very high servant, a very special servant. But it was all serving a greater purpose Not what Moses was doing, but actually what Jesus was doing. Jesus, who is the son who's over the house of God, the house of God referring to the people of God. And notice the continuity too: Old Testament and New Testament, one people. And the son has always been over all of these people, Old Testament and new. Moses served a purpose. Part of that, he was a servant in the house, but the son is over the house, building the house, setting apart this people all through redemptive History, which makes him worthy of more glory and honor. Makes him the greatest of all, greater than Moses, greater than anything, because he is the Lord God Almighty. And here's what's really interesting about you and I. Again, we may not be tempted to go to Judaism, but uh, a lot of times we are missing the fact that the, the Old Testament is really about Jesus just as much as the New Testament is. And we see that right in this passage, because think about this. He says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Okay. Now what's he going to mention next? Is he going to talk about leading the the exodus, leading the slaves out of Egypt? Is he going to talk about receiving the law? Is he going to talk about all the miraculous things he did and bringing the ten plagues down on Egypt, on Pharaoh? Look what he says. He says, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's son or over God's house as a son. In other words, the thing that he's emphasizing here is that of all the things that Moses did, the most important thing that Moses did was point forward to things that would be revealed later, things that would be spoken. Right. And in these last days, God has spoken by his son. But the most important thing Moses has done is write things that prepare us for and lead us to and point us to Christ and to the cross. Isn't that amazing? And so think about this. This is why when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, they were always struggling to follow him. They, they, they ridiculed him. They were rejecting him. And they were always trying to bring up Moses. Well, Moses said this and Moses said that. And in John 5, verse 46 Jesus says to these Pharisees, he says, for you, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. It's this powerful leveling. He's saying, look, you guys think you're all about Moses. If you really understood what Moses was saying, you'd believe in me because he was writing about me. He's saying the same thing at other places. Another example is Luke twenty four forty four, where Jesus is speaking. This is after the resurrection. 
And he's got the, the, the disciples are gathered and, and now he's appearing to them after the resurrection. And he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so right there, Jesus himself is saying that there's all these things written about him in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms. And so why this is so relevant for you and I is because it helps us understand that as we are reading the Old Testament, we're reading about Jesus there too. That all of the Bible and all of life is really about the story of the gospel. And even so, that when we do read the Old Testament, we want to ask ourselves, how are these things pointing us to Jesus? Because the tendency, the common tendency in American evangelicalism is when we read the Old Testament, we read the stories as if they're little sort of fables with a moral attached. Be like this person, don't be like that person. But Jesus is saying, no, it's so much better than that. It's about him. All of these stories in the Old Testament, they prepare our hearts for him. They point us to him. They give us examples of what he's like, what he's going to do. Let me show you a a video. Uh, I'll let Tim Keller do a little talking uh, this morning. Take a look. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all, while God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord, and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. (laughs) Is that a type? See, that's not typology. It's an instinct. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's he's the real Passover lamb. He's... He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. Amen. The Bible's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And this is so fundamental for us to understand. And it's even what we're seeing in this very passage. And that is why then, if the whole Bible is really pointing to him and we're to understand and know God through him because he's the radiance of the glory of God, Moses saw the glory of God. But Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, right? 
And therefore, it makes perfect sense why the author would finish this thought by saying in the rest of verse 6, and we are his house. In other words, we're part of the people that Jesus is setting apart. We belong to him. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence, our boasting and our hope, that word confidence, it's a type of confidence that, that wells up into wanting to speak about it. Wanting people to know about Jesus. The boasting is a, is a celebratory thing. We, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. He's telling, it's, it's, another, it's another warning to the people who are drifting away, you know, whether they're going towards Moses or anything else, that if, we, if your faith in Jesus goes away, then you have no hope. But as long as you are persevering in faith, you know that all that Jesus has done, he's done for you. You know it. If indeed... You hold fast. You are his house. You are what he's building. You are what he's done. You are what he's accomplished on the cross. You are what he purchased. You are what he's bringing to God. You are what he set apart. You are what he will never let go. You are what cannot be taken out of his hand. You will be, you are what will be raised on the last day. And you are who will spend eternity in the presence of God, having been made perfect, never to experience any sadness or sorrow ever again. As we persevere, and every day we persevere, we know for sure that we are his house. We need that confidence. We need that boasting. And where does it come from? Does it come from looking inside? Do we look in our own heart? Do we try to well up some sort of big faith in ourselves? Is this sola bootstrappa? Do we got to do this ourselves? No. How do we have that confidence? How do we end up boasting? We get our eyes on him. We look at his faithfulness. We looked at all that he went through, that he became a human being, that he suffered the rejection of the religious leaders, that he even suffered the abandonment of the disciples when he was hanging there alone on the cross, that he suffered the torture of the human torture of the cross, but then also the the wrath of God on our behalf. And all through that, all through that, he refused to turn away. He refused to deny God. He refused to deny us. And because of his faithfulness, we have been saved. We have been set apart. We have been forgiven. We have been declared righteous. We have received all these things by grace through faith. And it's that gospel. It's that good news. It's nothing in you. It's outside of you. It's that good news that we look to. And as we see his faithfulness, that's what empowers ours. So let's be a people who have our eyes on Jesus, who consider Jesus all day, every day, that his faithfulness to God would be an empowerment to our faithfulness to God for now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And um, I know that there's a lot of people here who are struggling, who find it hard to press on in faith and I pray that this sweet gift, this sweet kiss on the forehead from a loving Father this morning, this reminder that our strength does not come from within. So we can boast in our weakness. Our strength comes from you. Our help comes from you. Power comes from the gospel, from the Holy Spirit applying the good news of the gospel to our hearts. Help us consider Jesus. Help us focus on him and on his faithfulness to you, which in turn provides the good news for us. Give us confidence that we might
be excited to share with others and give us boasting in glory. Give us boasting in that hope that we would celebrate all day, every day, the good news of the gospel, the fruit of the faithfulness of our apostle and high priest, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.